Hey everyone, welcome back to Fill the Teapot, a podcast sharing stories and conversations from inspiring change makers, brand builders, and voices from the Asian American community. I'm your host, Suruchi Abbasi, and in each episode, I sit down with a guest I'm inspired by to chat about their relationship with identity and culture, what inspires their work, and everything in between. In today's episode, I'm chatting with friend and creator of some of my favorite sustainability content, Fidda Dixit. Fidda and I actually met back in the day at camp here in Houston, shout out to VHP, and I've loved watching her passion for sustainability advocacy over the last few years. After graduating from the University of Houston and working in commercial construction, Vidda is now an MBA student at Colorado State University, focusing on corporate sustainability and carbon management. She currently volunteers as a recycling ambassador for the city of Fort Collins and worked at a zero waste refill and bulk boutique store in Seattle. In honor of Earth Month, Vidda and I are chatting about small, actionable steps that each of us can apply in different parts of our own lives on the journey to living more sustainably. I have never had more fun talking about this topic and learned quite a few facts and took away several ideas for things that I can apply in my own life and know that there is so much more that we can dive into in future conversations here on the podcast. I'm so excited for y'all to take a listen. So go grab your cup of tea and let's get started. Just to dive in and chat. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always go back to the beginning and chat a little bit about you and what makes you, you. Um, and I'd love to know kind of a little bit about your journey and your relationship with identity and culture and kind of what you've learned along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was actually born in India, uh, but I lived in in Texas pretty much uh, from the age of five until about 22. So uh, my entire life, so to speak. And um, the beauty with, with my family is um, my, my dad is, I'm first generation on my dad's side, but I'm second generation on my mom's side. Oh. So my, my grandfather lived in Houston since the 1970s mm-hmm. and he helped establish a lot of the early Hindu temples in the area. So my family oh, has always way. been, yeah. So it's, it's really cool because I mean, my dad is fresh off the boat, but my, my mom is not. So she grew up in Houston. She sounds just like me. Um, so it's been a really fun kind of uh, crossover of culture with with my my upbringing. But having that background from my mom's side, I have always been really ingrained in whether it was the Indian community or the, you know, for me personally and you, you the Hindu community. Um, and, you know, I never there was that show. I don't know if you watched it. It was called Never Have I Ever, the one with uh, Mindy Kaling. The best show ever. Sobbed my way through the entire okay. thing and had to watch okay. it again to actually so, pay attention. <laughs> unpopular opinion I hated that show what did that okay we're gonna have to segue over here for a second what were the qualms with this show my qualms were I could not relate to that girl in any way because Mm, because fortunately I love my culture I've always been really proud of it I always wanted to share it with other people and I was fortunate that I have people around me who were very accepting of it and to see her reaction to a lot of the things throughout the the series I was just like girl what is wrong with you like I mean we know what was wrong but (laughs) you know what's really funny but it's it's a good point that you bring up and it's something that I've kind of had to dig through too and we are going to segue here for a second because I think it's an important thing to talk about where for some people, this was representation for them and their story. And I felt that that's why I loved it. Cause I was like, this felt like so much of my experience mm-hmm. growing up, but it doesn't make it the token story because you're right. Like I keep reading this quote that comes up where it's like, when are we going to see characters that, that their culture is not the problem in their life? 
Right? Exactly. Because like yeah. that's, there are so many people who are, mm. who just grow up so proud of who they are and where they grew up. And it's not like it's a burden for them. And it's like, when are we going to get to see those stories too? So I think it's a very fair point that you bring up. So I will validate that opinion. <laughs> and that's why the same thing is I was like, okay, there, there are obviously people out here who felt the way she did, but I was, I was not that way. And I consider myself extremely fortunate that, that I did grow up the way that I did, totally. but Starting, you know, starting from a young age, I saw my parents were extremely active in the community. My grandfather was both the ones in, in India and in the U.S. Um, and so I've I've always loved being uh, Asian and Asian American, South Asian. Uh, and a lot of that, you know, I think we'll, we'll discuss it later on, kind of stemmed into my actions and my habits. Um, but at the same time, there were some things that I was you know, again, we'll discuss it later, but my parents were still extremely frugal. Mm -hmm. And my dad would talk about how, oh, I use like the same pair of shoes for three or four years. So why do you have to keep buying all these new things? And for me, I was just like, what's wrong with you? Like, of course, I want to be trendy and fashionable. Like I'm going to buy the new thing. Um, but part of that also stemmed into, you know, what I'm doing today and realizing, oh, my, my parents already had this understanding of from a frugal sense, what sustainability is, you know, not doing it because they want to help the planet, but because that's just how they were brought up. Right. Um, so that did stem into, into what I'm doing now, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. And of course you and I met at camp and that was a great time in my life. I think I'm still connected with a few people from then, but I don't know if you've kept in touch with anybody. Yeah. You know, what's really cool. And as I was reflecting back in preparation for this episode too, what I thought was really cool. And I'm like, I need to be better about sharing this with people, but you know, like you said, you kind of like you were one of the first people I met at camp where, or one of the first people I met ever that I was like, oh my God, like Vida's like really proud of who she is and where she comes <laughs> from. And that's just not where I was at that stage of life. And mm -hmm. it was like going to camp, I think was one of the first times like in retrospect where I was like, oh, like that was one of those first like trigger points for me to kind of like start digging into like who we are, where we care, like where we came from, who our families are. Um, and you were definitely one of the first people where looking back where I'm like, seeing how proud you were and just how authentically and like joyfully you carried like your culture and your identity. Like, I'm like, wow, like you were one of the first people that like really started that journey for me. So, you know, thank you for that. Oh, because it, it really, I think it's, it's so important to like, just, you know, show people that are proud of who they are. And um, yeah, it was just, it was really cool to reflect back on that and be like, oh yeah, she, she was awesome. So, yeah. And I know, you know, growing up, it's always a challenge to kind of bring, bring the two together. But uh, I always just think, you know, just our, our South Asian, Asian American history is so rich and so culturally significant and so beautiful. I mean, of course there are downsides to our history as well, but um, you know, the things that we bring to the table are, are, exceptional. And so that's why I've, I think having that understanding from my, my parents and my grandfather that kind of stemmed into, uh, into who I am. And, you know, I, I'm just happy all the time. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, that's awesome. Okay. So going on this journey, I'd love to know, cause you were down at UH, go Cougs, um, go Cougs. At go Cougs. <laughs> and then I noticed at least in your posting online, like we said, you know, kind of keeping up with what people are up to online when you were in Seattle, you had started working at, what was it, like a low-waste shop kind of thing? Yeah, so um, it kind of, 
my journey into where I am today, I actually kind of started in high school. I took just an environmental science AP class. I loved what I learned, but I was still, you know, a high school student. I didn't know anything beyond just recycling. And growing up, I don't know if it was the case in your neighborhood, but in mine, we didn't have curbside recycling. So yeah, so I would just take all of our accumulated stuff over the weekend, take it to my high school facility. (laughs) Yeah. And because I was just like, well, I can't do anything, but I can do this at the age of 16. Right. Um, And so I was interested. I always had ideas about maybe going into this space, but also being a South Asian, I wanted to make money. So I went to University of Houston, you know, did business, got a corporate job, really liked it. But I actually worked in commercial construction for three and a half years. And I got to see, you know, what goes into constructing residential commercial things. What is the waste that comes from from that kind of commercial side? But like you mentioned, I lived in Seattle. So I also got to see the awesome infrastructure that Seattle has for curbside composting, curbside recycling. How do people live their lives that are, you know, closer to the earth and the environment? So it was kind of a juxtaposition of, well, I'm working in an industry that is quite pollutive, but it's also building the economy. But I'm living on a residential side where I want to kind of control my own, uh, my purchases and my waste. And so I... Uh, Seattle does have, you know, it's a very crunchy granola community. So they have, uh, you know, zero waste stores and one recently opened. They were just looking for a part-time employee. And I started working in there on the weekends. And that's where I really started learning and educating the community on, hey, what are individual steps that we can take, um, you know, to kind of reduce your own consumption and then waste habits. So that's uh, a lot of it did stem from me, me being in Seattle. Was there a, cause like, I love how it's, there's little pieces in our life, right? Where we're like, okay, well, growing up, I did this as I was working, I learned this. Was there a point where it's like, now you're like studying to like focus on this as, you know, a part of how do you implement this so much broader outside of your own life? Like, was there ever like a moment where you're like, this is what I want to, you know, focus my life on, or I want to, you know, dedicate my time to like, what was that moment for you? where you were like, okay, like, I want to go to school to study this. I want to like make this my like choice of living. Yeah. So prior to Seattle, I actually lived in Oklahoma for two years. That's right. I did. (laughs) So, um, and you know, as, as somewhat backward as I thought my neighborhood was in Houston, we still had access to these facilities. But when I lived in Oklahoma and I lived in one of the biggest cities there, it was not even ingrained in anybody's identity to that they should be managing what they're bringing in and how they're disposing of it. Everything was just thrown away. Um, And there was actually, um, it was a facility that recycled for the the entire city. And when I saw that, hey, there is a way for your community to create an economic opportunity for people who need it while still serving the environment. Oh my gosh, this is beautiful. And at the time, I was still working um, for Hilti in commercial construction. I moved to Seattle. And the one and a half years that I was in Seattle, that just thought kept ringing in my head. And when I started working at um, Scoop Marketplace, the zero waste store, I realized how unhappy I was in my nine to five job and how happy I was on my weekends doing this. And, you know, I just kept thinking, like, again, that juxtaposition of this waste that's being created by a corporation versus what I'm doing individually, these just don't add up. How can I make them add up? Mm -hmm. And one of my coworkers, 
he actually graduated from CSU and he was like, hey, you know, they have an MBA program that focuses exclusively on these topics that you love. And I was just blown away that there is something, you know, that just speaks to me in this way. So I um, just decided I was like, okay, I'm going to just quit my job and I'm going to go back to school full time. And hopefully that'll get my gears moving in the direction that I, I have been living my life and would hope to help others live their lives. This is a side tangent, but I'm curious <laughs> because I feel like this, this sometimes I think can be a barrier specifically to our community, maybe other communities too, where a lot of us have passions, you know, mm-hmm. in similar veins and for us to pursue them often requires a conversation with our parents. Um, I'm curious, like, how did that conversation go for you? Yeah, so I actually, um, my parents, again, very fortunate with my upbringing, they are extremely open with what I've always wanted to do, what I've wanted to pursue. They just wanted to make sure that I could stand on my own feet and be an independent woman. I feel that like was, that's what it is. Oftentimes yeah. they're just so worried that our passions are not going to be able to support yes. us. And it's like, how yes. do you frame it up in a way that they understand you will be fine? Exactly. And I 100% agree with you. And that was, you know, having seen my my dad particularly like struggle from his upbringing to what he's doing now, his whole goal has just been like, I just want you to be safe and comfortable and live a, a happy, you know, and satisfied life. And when I was able to kind of share with them, first of all, I was extremely unhappy in my previous role. And they they saw that and they saw the toll it took on me. And, you know, my parents recognized like, well, if there's something that will make you happier and still keep you on your feet, you should just do it. Why not? Yeah. And so they've been extremely supportive. Um, my friends have all been extremely supportive. Uh, so, so I haven't had as many issues as I think some people may have, but I also found a way to say, Hey, here's what these companies are doing and how they're making a difference. And I want to work for them. Yeah. And I think as long as they were like, okay, you, there's a future, there's a plan, then everything's fine. <laughs> that's what makes it. As long as there's a plan, that's all there's there is. a plan. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, before we dive into some of the more specifics, I guess I'm curious too, like, what is the goal coming out of this program for you at CSU? Like, how do you, like, for people who may not even know that programs like this exist and who it might be just like, hey, I'm thinking about looking into a future where I'm sure there's going to be a huge need for jobs and green living and Mm -hmm. um, sustainability moving forward as well. But I guess for people who just may not even know they exist, like, what does a program like this offer for people? Like, what, what are you learning? How does, you know, coming out of this program look like? I need the whole spiel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And a lot of it is, you know, what I had to go through as well, because I just had these ideas, but I didn't know if something could cater to them. Um, So I think if you are thinking about this realm, definitely, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn, just go on LinkedIn and look up some of the companies that you like, or even companies that, um, you know, maybe you don't like, what are the practices that they're doing? What are the jobs that they offer? And you'll see there's going to be a lot of things about sustainability consulting, corporate social responsibility, um, you know, sustainability advocates, um, or even managing certain product lines and making those products or processes sustainable. So the particular classes that I'm taking, um, they're focused on corporate responsibility and corporate sustainability. How can we make the products and processes of this very large company or even a small startup Um, How can we make them a little bit more streamlined or serving both? It's a three-part thing, serving people, planet, and the environment. How do we do that? 
it's a big challenge to tackle, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. <laughs> um, but I'm taking classes on, you know, how does the um, things like ecosystems and biodiversity, how is that affected by economics? Or how do I conduct a life cycle assessment of a particular product to make it rather than creation using destruction, creation using remaking into something else. So creating a more of a closed cir loop. Circular economy. Circular economy. Yeah, exactly. So that's I learned a lot a few of phrases while prepping for this. So. That's right. Yeah. So a lot closed loop economy, circular economies. Um, and then of course, you know, there's a lot of stuff about carbon capture and storage, yeah. which we can get into, but but there are so many different avenues, but just think about, you know, what is sustainability broadly? Just Googling stuff like that, or what um, organization is doing sustainability well? What uh, college is doing sustainability well? And that's why I stumbled upon Colorado State because their buildings are LEED certified. They have wonderful facilities. So they are speaking what they, what they mm -hmm. teach. And I think that's a big part of it is you can talk, talk a big game, yeah. but if you're not actually implementing those things, maybe that isn't the place for you. So, and we'll talk about greenwashing and stuff down the line. Sure. So, yeah, I love that. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Well, hopefully I'm excited for this conversation. And as we kind of deep dive into some of it too, well, hopefully some people might be inspired as yes. too. Um, so I guess how we're going to dive into it. Cause I was like, even thinking, and I love that you kind of sent over some, like, here's how we'll break it down. But, um, the topic of sustainability and green living is very broad. And so I was like, okay, we can kind of break this down in a little ways because I think sometimes, especially in our current state of the world, um, I was even reading a couple articles in the New York times where it's like, our generation is just so dread, like dreading all of this stuff about what do we, like, how do we save the world um, right. <laughs> over here? And sometimes I feel like the topic of how do we live more green uh, can feel overwhelming to people. And so, and I think it can feel like, you know, there's like an onus to like apply this mindset in different aspects of our life. How much is too much? Like, am I doing enough? There's just, there's a lot. Um, and so I think if we can, we'll break this down, I guess, in a couple of different buckets. Um, so I'd love to chat about kind of what you think our individual versus corporate responsibilities are, you know, brands that we're supporting and then mm -hmm. sustainability in food, sustainability in fashion, sustainability in the home. What are some small actionable steps? What do people need to know? What can we chat about? We can start with the first one just being, how do we approach our own individual lifestyles versus what are, what do corporate companies need to be thinking about? Or mm -hmm. how do we even think about which brands we need to support or what research we need to be doing about the brands that we're consuming? Yeah, absolutely. And I think all of these are awesome questions and they're all actionable. There, there are places where we can take actionable steps as individuals. So the first thing that I always, always tell everyone, irrespective of where you are on your sustainability journey, because it is a journey, it's, it's not a, a journey, destination. Yes. Yeah, you're, you're never going to, there's no such destination as I'm a sustainability champion. You can say that, but there's no defined end. It's a continuation. Um, and the quote that I always tell everyone is every dollar that you spend or don't spend is a vote that you're casting for the future that you want. And when we understand this concept of where I'm putting my efforts, my energy, my money, that is what's creating the future for myself and, and generations to come. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I think that usually helps people kind of quell the, the uh, inner turmoil that we're having is, yeah, this is a big, hairy 
situation, but I can do things and I can try my best. Um, so the big thing that I also like to say is, you know, I think a lot of people have heard the term carbon footprint. Like I, I wanna reduce my carbon footprint. Uh, I wanna reduce my single use plastic. We need to remember that these, these terms were coined by corporations. They were created by things oh. like BP and Unilever and Procter and Gamble so that the onus was put on individuals and taken away from the supply streams of these large companies. So also recognizing that these things that we're supposed to be reducing, it's kind of PR. A lot of it is PR. Yeah. Um, and I think that also kind of quells a little bit that yes, by all means, please take your own actionable steps, but also you do need to hold these, these companies accountable because irrespective of Saruchi, what you and I do, what they're doing is far greater into a far yeah. greater scale. Did you see that tweet that AOC had done when I think it was like one of those big oil companies that was like, what are you doing to reduce your carbon footprint? And AOC was like, um, hello, like, what are you doing <laughs> to reduce your carbon footprint? Yeah. And, and that's why I say carbon footprint was coined by BP. So it's important to, to recognize that. Um, but at the same time, like I said, about voting with your dollar is look, just thinking about the, the organizations, I talk about um, doing things called trash inventories and going through, okay, in my, in my house, what am I bringing in and what am I throwing away and where are these things coming from? Then looking back at those companies, um, you know, even little things um, we think we're using from a sustainable company like Tom's of Maine, like the toothpaste, mm -hmm. it's actually owned by Colgate Palmolive. So when you look at these little brands, who are their parent companies and what are their parent companies doing? And is there a way that I could switch to maybe something that's local or, you know, produced in a small batch um, in terms of, you know, your, your individual mm -hmm. kind of actions? Um, that is one opportunity that I think is important is just take, take a trash inventory and see what's coming in and who it's coming in from and how can you kind of change those, those little steps. Um, but that's again just your your single use items, right? Yeah. The bigger the bigger impact comes from how you're living your life. Where do you live? What is your energy consumption? Your transportation? Yeah. So I think starting small is very important, and then you can start moving up the chain and seeing, okay, where can I start making bigger impacts? That way, it's not it's not all encompassing to you, right? Um, but you are still making those actionable steps. Yeah. I love that. Um, I guess one thing I keep coming back to, especially when it comes to like this, you know, individual versus broader company thing is a lot of it, I think just has to do. And you, you said it in a certain sense where it's like, it is how you're living your life and how much of our life is so consumeristic. If that's yes. the right frame where it's like, 100%. do I need to buy these things that I'm bringing into the house? But then, Okay, this is me going down the rabbit hole where I'm like, even if I, I <laughs> don't buy this thing, the company is still making it. Does it make a difference at all whether I buy it or not because it's still produced by the company? Yeah, and I think that's an awesome point that you bring up. And I think it's great that you're thinking that way. Um, the thing is, what we do now is affecting a supply stream down the line. When the yep. company recognizes that something is not being purchased or consumed to the volume that it was being, that is when they're going to make those steps to alter their product or alter their, um, you know, the consumer's perception of the product. So yeah, you that stuff is in a warehouse somewhere. That stuff has been created, but think you, we have to think larger scale. It's not about tomorrow. It's not about a month from now. It's about what's happening in the next year, 10 years. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, no, I think that's actually a great point where I was like, I, I don't work in supply chain. So I'm like, I yeah. just figure the company's <laughs> going to make it whatever. But, um, I think that's a really great point because I think it comes back to like, you're voting with your dollars, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, if you choose not to buy something, the company is going to, you know, whoever handles forecasting or whatever they do mm-hmm. is going to have to be like, okay, well, something's got to change if enough people choose to make that decision. Um, right. I guess on the individual side too, cause I've seen a lot of posts and articles about this. Um, in terms of like travel, I know you mentioned, you know, where you live is also super important. Um, obviously this year, given that travel is very limited, I think people are taking a little bit more stock as to where they're going, but I can also foresee once things opening up again, it's just going to be travel mania where it's like, everyone is going, trying to make up for that lost time. What responsibility do we have when we are traveling? Because I mean, I don't know enough about like airline travel to be like, is this, is my entire carbon footprint going to be used up with one plane trip, you know, where it's like, mm-hmm. is there anything that you've at least come across or that we should think about when we are traveling or taking trips? Because I don't want, I think where I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, am I being selfish by saying I want to go visit a place? But I'm like, that's a part of life is to enjoy traveling mm-hmm. and seeing the world. But how do we do it in a way that is more sustainable? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I've battled with myself. I am a proclaimed, I love traveling. I love to visit people in different places. Um, And it's something that I've had to think about as well. And one thing is, think about the places that you are traveling to. When you're going to that location, how can you support the local economy Mm -hmm. instead of a huge company that's still there? Like, um, you know, if I'm going back to, let's say I'm going back to India, how can I literally go to those little bhavas and the, the street stall folks and contribute to them instead of, you know, contributing my, my, my hard earned money to somebody else or to a larger company. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, when we talk about the actual transport side of things, a lot of airlines, and again, haven't traveled in a minute, but I know it's been uh, a hot minute, but a lot of airlines are starting to institute um, carbon capture technology. So you can actually oh. Um, contribute a portion of your ticket or add something onto your ticket, which will then offset your carbon emission. Now, by no means is that an end all, so a winning end all solution, but it is definitely something that will help. And these carbon capture solutions that airlines are implementing um, are put towards, hey, how do we construct maybe renewable energy or how are we you know, taking the carbon from the atmosphere and then storing it underground so that it's not creating greenhouse gases. So that is an option for individuals, you know, should you have the money to to contribute to it? You know, I think if you have the money to travel, you potentially do have the money to contribute to a carbon capture system. So there are options that some airlines are, are putting in to kind of offset the emissions that you're creating. Yeah, I love that. Um, before we dive into some of like the deeper ones, I guess as we continue to think about our consumption as consumers, um, I guess what, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this. Mm -hmm. I think, I think a lot of what it comes down to and what it sounds like you're saying is a lot of it, I think our responsibility as individuals and in specific relation to bigger companies and what we consume is doing our due diligence in a way and doing our research. I guess, is there, are there any like good resources that you've found? Cause I think I've seen like some people start posting, like, here's an app that you can like scan the brand and it'll tell you X, Y, Z, but it's like, I don't think people are just going to like stop buying things anytime mm-hmm. soon, but it's like, how do we, like you said, make those small individual steps with our dollars that can potentially impact the way these larger companies are also thinking about their brands. 
Yeah, I think a lot of it, um, it first stems from you as an individual, right? Um, and I watched, I don't know if you've seen, it's a documentary called Minimalism. I haven't but, watched it yet, but I yeah, have seen so, it. Yeah, so it's, um, that was another big thing that caused me to kind of change my own consumption habits. I 100% say I was a hyper consumer. I love shopping. I worked in retail. It was so much fun. And when I watched that documentary, it made me really rethink about, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Why do I need this stuff? Why um, are we pushed as a society to have these, you know, this consumption habit, this consumer habit? Um, so it does start there. So I think that that first documentary is an awesome resource because it will really change your perception about what we need to be happy mm-hmm. um, and what we need to feel satisfied and successful. Because I think these terms are, you know, we hear them growing up, but what does that really mean? So that's a a great place to start for individuals. Um, And then I personally, um, I actually think it's important to kind of start local. Uh, When you're thinking about your, let's talk about just trash. When you're thinking about your trash or recycling, does your building offer anything? Does your municipality offer anything? Does your town offer anything? What does that look like? And if it doesn't, who are the people that you can talk to to change that? Is it your homeowners association? Is it your local council? Where does that begin first? Um, that's on the trash side. Then when it comes to businesses that you're supporting, like I mentioned, it is extremely easy to just do a Google search of any company. You can find their parent company yeah. and you can see the pros and cons of what they're doing. Um, and I take a, a company like, you know, like Nestle, for example, you know, they create, you name it, they create it, you've probably eaten it. And then if you look at some of the articles that are just on a Google search, you'll see the amount of toxins and pollutions that are being dumped in estuaries around the world because of their production. And there's a step right there. Okay, maybe my my decision for this month is I'm just not going to purchase Nestle products. I'm going to try to find an alternative for those. Yeah. Um, so as simple as that too. Uh, but documentaries, I think, are the, the way to go. It's easy. They're an hour and a half and you learn so much in that time about supply chains or sourcing or what are the effects so so that's what I recommend just going on Netflix and typing in sustainability documentaries and finding them there having that intellectual curiosity about it yes I love that um well we're going to dive into one of my favorite topics which is Mm -hmm. food um and you know sustainability and food what the people need to know I know at least for me one of the things that keeps coming up on my feed is like how much of a contributor food waste is to you know, not living a sustainable life. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, I've definitely been guilty of that before. And I think especially doing what I do in food styling and, you know, all that great stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, that's not, not been great before. So trying to be a little bit more conscious of that, but what do people need to know about, you know, being a little bit more green with the food that they're eating, the way they're consuming it, all that jazz. What are some good actionable steps that we can be thinking about? Yeah, and I'm super excited to talk to you in particular about this, just to hear about maybe how your actions have changed as well, because I think that could be really helpful to a lot of people, even in the same industry as you. Um, But a a shocking statistic that I'm sure you've seen around is 40% of the food produced in the United States is wasted. Which is so crazy. Which is almost half. That's almost half. And Yes, a lot of it is, is, you know, it happens through the production cycle, through the transport cycle, and then through our end cycle and what we can control as consumers. Um, But just knowing that statistic off the top of my head, it always just makes me rethink, okay, okay, I don't want to be part of that, that number, I don't want to do it. 
Um, and so I think a lot of this stems from uh, food that has, you know, maybe turned or expired and we think we have to get rid of it. Um, it stems from restaurants that are serving us these egregious portions that nobody can finish. And some people take it home and then throw it away. Sometimes they leave it at the restaurant and the restaurant throws it away. It comes from grocery stores keeping things stocked. So there's an appearance of abundance when mm, they really yeah. don't need to have that many types of a mixed looking bell pepper in their <laughs> aisle. Um, and it comes from ugly produce or, or vegetables mm -hmm. and fruits that don't look attractive. And therefore, us as consumers don't want to eat them because we're under the impression that a vegetable has to look a certain way. Mm, so yeah. it's a lot of these perceptions that we have that that have been ingrained in us that need to be, again, rewired. A lot of sustainability is rewiring our mm. thinking. Who made these decisions so, in the first place? I know. I wish I could tell you. <laughs> A lot of them stem from, from big companies creating PR programs mm -hmm. so that they could sell more things of a certain type, of course, you know, of course. Um, but, you know, I don't know if you've been able to, to go, I mean, they're not as common now because of the pandemic, but if you go to a farmer's market, the vegetables and fruits that you're picking up, they're going to look all sorts of ways, all different sizes, yeah. but they're going to taste delicious because that is, that is real food right there. Yeah. Um, so I think changing that perception of what a food is supposed to look like or how, what is that expiration date, even those labels sometimes can, can misconstrue uh, what, what, what we're eating. So the biggest thing that I can tell folks is if you are able to, again, a lot of this stems from what you can physically and, and monetarily yep. contribute. If you can eat local produce and in season food, that's awesome because there you're, you're stopping this, this worldwide global trade of bananas coming to you in December when they really shouldn't be growing at that time, or you eating a certain type of fruit that technically shouldn't be growing. Yeah. Um, so eating local and in season is a big thing. Um, there are also some awesome organizations that are recovering these ugly vegetables and produce. Um, I can think of Misfit Market, Imperfect, Imperfect Produce, produce yeah. and Hungry Harvest. And these are phenomenal organizations that are recovering these, these otherwise items that would have been tossed or trashed, yeah. and you can consume them at a discounted rate. So that's another awesome option. Yeah. And I, a controversial topic that I have to bring up because it's me is meat consumption. Ooh, um, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm vegetarian. You're <laughs> yeah. vegetarian. I'm vegetarian. So like, my household, we don't eat meat. Like it's never been a thing. And it's so, maybe it's because we're from Texas where it's like, yeah. even suggesting that people give up meat like one day a week seems like the most jarring and radical thing <laughs> in the entire world. I know. And it totally does. And, and that's why I am always tentative when I bring up that topic, but just the agriculture industry is creating so much waste from literal waste of the animals, but also the greenhouse gas emissions that come yeah. from it, the inhumane treatment. I could go on and on, but I think recognizing all of these things that come with eating meat is kind of the first step. And I'm, I'm in the same vein as you. I'm like, listen, just one day a week is, you know, I think that would make a world of difference and you can like calculate how much it helps. Yeah. Uh, but that is something that I just have to bring up because it is, it is a contributor and it, it could help in, again, this perceived carbon footprint yeah. that we're trying to reduce. Totally. And I guess even if we connect it back to the, the point that you made earlier, where it's like, well, does me giving up meat even one day a week actually make a difference if whoever is producing this is doing it? Well, you're right. Mm -hmm. Like if the company notices this in the supply chain that meat consumption reduces by mm -hmm. X percent of a certain number of people, 
reduce yeah. it, you're taking that out of the supply chain, which does actually end up making a difference. Yeah. And I think about companies like Beyond Meat, um, you know, Impossible Burger, No Evil. All of these companies are thriving now because they're seeing that reduction in animal consumption and this rise in trying to find plant-based protein. So it is possible. And, and, you know, we can help those companies grow or create even more companies if we just continue on the path of, you know, just consuming a lower amount of meat. Totally. What are your thoughts on milk alternatives? (laughs) Okay, so I actually make my own milk because oh, girl, look at you. <laughs> so I just buy like nuts in bulk and then I blend them in my Vitamix because I'm a very granola. Yeah. <laughs> and so I um but I have tried, you name it, I've tried it. Soy, pea protein, macadamia, almond, uh, coconut. I've tried them all because I think it's kind of fun to experiment with these things. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think a lot of discussion has come around, well, is me drinking a regular cup of milk versus almond milk? What is the water intensity yeah. that's going into these, the labor costs that's going into these? What is this difference too? Um, which is why I usually just end up making my own. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's so many things. You see all the charts where it's like oat milk is here, almond milk is yeah. here. And I'm like, but which one actually makes a difference? And then you'd like to also have to factor in like the health benefits or like, well, which one do I actually need to be drinking? Exactly. Wild. Yeah. It's wild. It um, is wild. Yeah. And it's a big, it's become such a complex industry too. <laughs> oh my God, for sure. Uh, you bring up an interesting point, which I'd love to know just in terms of our consumption and grocery store buying is buying bulk. What are the little things we can be doing when we go to the grocery store that make a difference? Yeah. So um, again, I think due to the pandemic, a lot of bulk buying has kind of reduced. Which is because so sad. It's so sad. It really is. It's so sad. Um, but of course, if you're able to find a market, I know down South, we've got HEB and HEB, H-E-B. Yeah. Love some of the so H-E-B, much. Right. Some of the HEB central markets, they have big bulk stations and you could, or Sprouts. I know that's kind of nationwide now. You could just scoop and, you know, yeah. scoop and dump and you're good to go. Um, but there have been, there's kind of this new trend and that's where I worked in Seattle is just kind of these boutique stores that are popping up with your bulk options. Um, so, you know, if that is accessible to you, I think that's an awesome way to support a local business and also get your items package free. But the next thing you can look at is, okay, like I said, the trash inventory, what, what am I buying and what packaging is it coming in? And Typically, I say if you can convert it to either package-free alternatives or something in cardboard or paperboard, that's awesome. And and there you go. The other thing is knowing that anything in glass or aluminum, that glass or aluminum packaging can turn into another glass or aluminum packaging in in 60 days. So those two um, package forms are a circular economy if you recycle them properly. So people don't need to worry about losing their LaCroix anytime. Exactly. No girl, I drink a LaCroix every week. So, (laughs) and, and of course I, I dispose of my stuff correctly. So understanding, okay, I can recycle this. How do I do it properly? Um, But yeah, I I always say, if you can't get it package free, if you can find a canned alternative, or if you can find, um, you know, a glass alternative that is, you know, great in terms of, of packaging waste. Yeah. So let's talk about what the right way to recycle some of that packaging is, because I think one, being at home, I have noticed some questionable things with my parents' <laughs> recycling habits. I mean, bless them for recycling, but yeah. they 
<laughs> love you, mom. Um, she will Same. put stuff uh, in the recycling bin that has not been washed, still has food in it, still has stuff in it. I'm like that. I don't think that's right. Like, I think you're supposed <laughs> to clean it. Um, what, like, how, how do I know what the right way to recycle something is? Cause I think this is where people also get overwhelmed and then just stop because they're like, it's too much effort for me to right. clean this out or do this, whatever. But like, what, like, what do we need to know about this? Yeah. And, and I agree a lot of it. I posted an article on my LinkedIn a few days ago, and it was basically about why don't people recycle and what is the hindrance? And the truth is, if it is not as easy as possible and as seamless as possible, people won't do it. Yep. People don't but like complicated stuff. People don't like complicated stuff. But the problem is, even if you try to do something, but you don't do it right, is it really making the impact that you want it to? Right. Um, so I love that you brought up, you know, cleaning things because that is important. If something is contaminated, it won't be recycled. They're going to pluck it off the line and throw it away. So it's really easy. Just as soon as you've eaten out of whatever it is, just rinse it out. If you're rinsing your dishes, toss your recycled things in there and just rinse them when you're rinsing your dishes. I honestly, like if I have a yogurt cup or something, I toss it into my dishwasher with all my other stuff and boom, it's clean. Then I just yeah. toss it in the recycling. So that is a step. Um, I think also recognizing um, what can and can't go into your recycling bin is important because some places do take certain things and some places don't. Yep. Again, this is an effort that we have to make and, and it's hard because people sometimes don't want to. Yeah. Like I didn't realize the, the little triangle number codes on the bottoms of like mm -hmm. a lot of plastic type things. I, I had only even looked at like, what does this number mean? I, I had first noticed it a couple of like months ago in Minneapolis where I was like, what does this eight mean? Or what does this five mean? And then yeah. I was like, oh crap, the Minneapolis recycling place only takes XYZ numbers. I've been putting mm -hmm. this in, but maybe they don't take it and I'm ruining something that shouldn't be in there. I didn't realize that was a thing. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, the plastic or whatever you're consuming, it comes from different types of chemicals. So that's what those numbers stem from is what are the particulates and chemicals in this plastic composition? And you're totally right. Some municipalities don't take certain, certain ones, but typically if you've tossed it in the recycling bin, as long as it's clean, honestly, they're just going to pick it up and toss it out. It is Unfortunately, the, the recycling industry is still a somewhat manual process. Mm -hmm. And there are people on the line that are checking to see what is, what is in your trash oh, or in wow. your recycling. Yeah, um, some places are obviously a lot more automated, um, but a lot of places are still hand pick and throw. Yeah. Um, the other thing uh, that I wanted to bring up is bagging your items. A lot of people will bag their lovely, clean, recyclable <laughs> products and toss it in the bin well, I'm very sorry, but they're going to pick up your giant bag of clean items and throw it away oh, because, no. yeah, because they don't know what's in there. Yeah. You have to have it unbagged and then tossed in. So that's so, another big thing that I tell people. This could be a dumb question because living in an apartment complex, you know, you go to your recycling place, like on your floor and yeah. like, just dump it down the chute. <clears throat> what should I be putting my recycling in if I live in an apartment? Like I've used paper bags before just to like keep all my recycling in and just toss it in without sealing it. Like, is that okay? Am yeah, I, I, I exactly. And <laughs> when I lived in an apartment, I used paper bags. Okay, great. Yes. It's just the plastic, the plastic film typically can't be recycled. And so the moment they see something bagged, they'll just throw it away. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. What about composting? Have you become a composter? I did. I started composting in, uh, in Seattle because they did have curbside facilities for it. Um, and going back to that food waste that we talked about earlier, 
a lot of your peel, stem, scraps, those can all be turned into this very rich nutrient fertilizer that can help our environment. And it is extremely difficult though, because a lot of the U.S. doesn't have commercial composting yeah. available to them. And I've been fortunate that I lived in, in Seattle and now at CSU where that is available to me. But if it's not, you can very easily just collect your compost. I actually keep mine in the freezer. And then, yeah, because if you keep it in the freezer, it doesn't smell. It's just yeah. in a little bag. Uh, and if you contact, you know, hey, is there a local farmer's market? Is there a local... Um, compost, even smaller uh, private composting mm -hmm. facilities, they can often pick these up for you. You just have to seek it out. Like with a lot yeah. of what we've been talking about, you have to seek it out. There was actually one that just started in Houston. I don't remember the name, but I can give it to you. Um, I'll look it up and I can yeah. pass it off to you. But they just started a private composting um, facility and they come and pick it up. So it's really cute. That's awesome. But, but the thing is like, if if you live anywhere that's near a farm or um, or a CSA, just call them and ask them, hey, could you use compost or what do you accept in your compost? And you can just start handing it off to them. And I promise you their plants will love it. Um, the other thing is, you know, we also have this perception that a lot of this fruit or vegetable cannot be consumed when in fact it can. For example, you can use your orange peels to create, um, you know, like a, a house cleaner. You can use all of these, these stems and peels and leaves from celery and carrots to create yeah. broth. So reusing those things and then tossing them into compost is also an option. And that's something that our parents have done really exactly. well. Asian exactly. parents do not waste anything. They do not waste. And that's why I'm like, you know, a lot of it stems from what my parents did. Cause I'm like, yeah. I saw you doing this and little did you know, you were being green. <laughs> I know. I know. They don't even think they're like, there's like, oh, it is what it is. I'm like, no, like that's actually like a good thing that you're doing. Yeah. I'm like, you're in, you're in fashion now. <laughs> <laughs> you're so hip and cool. Um, oh my gosh, I love that. Anything else in related to food that we haven't really touched on or something that you think would be good for people to know? I think like, as I think about how my food consumption has changed, I think especially the food waste statistic um, that we mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, I think that was one of the first ones where it's like, how do I take an inventory of what I'm actually eating, what mm -hmm. am I throwing out and how do I not do that next time so that I'm only buying what I need? It's again, sometimes hard for me because I work <laughs> with food often and I just need extra food for a shoot. But even that where it's like, how do I either repurpose or give it to someone or stuff like that? But has there any like been any practices where it's like, has meal prepping helped you when it comes to like being better about using the food and reducing waste or anything like that? Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. Um, and I 100% agree with you. I think just taking stock of what I have, what do I actually eat and how or how quickly do I finish it? Um, that has helped. So I, I do meal prep. It's helped me immensely. Um, and I also, you know, I think this is kind of a tangent, but we oftentimes create this fantasy self that, oh, I'm the type of person that drinks green juices all the time and I'm going to do this and this. When in reality, like, no, I want a mac and cheese and that's what I want today. So recognizing, okay, what is this fantasy self? What does that want me to eat versus what am I actually going to eat this week? Taking stock of that and say, and, you know, being comfortable and saying, it's okay for me to eat this and not eat this super healthy option. <laughs> 
because otherwise what is that kale or that celery going to do? It's going to go bad and then you're going to throw it away. Yeah. So I think that's a big, that's complex, but it's something we also need to tackle. (laughs) No, I agree. Like girl, just eat the mac and cheese. Like why not enjoy the food (laughs) you're actually going to eat. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, meal prepping has helped a ton. Um, And just, you know, I always remember, I'm like, okay, well, you know, somebody else could enjoy this food more than I can. I'm, I don't want it to wilt in my, in my fridge. Um, what my mom, I don't know if your parents do this, but my Asian parents keep everything in Behida buzz in like yogurt (laughs) containers. Yes. So my mom has started putting dates on the container so that they remember to eat the food. They're like, okay, this was cooked on this date let me make sure that I eat it within three or five days so that it doesn't spoil. So that's something to institute as well. If you're living with your parents or you see that they're using those types of uh, containers. Yeah. My parents did upgrade a little while ago to like an actual glass container set. They've got like three now and they're like, this is what we use. And my mom is so crazy about her organization with them. So my mom too, she's, she's on the Pyrex train (laughs) and I'm so happy for her. (laughs) I'm like, so jazzed for you. Um, Also a great point. There are tons of options these days for reusable packaging for your own food to bring your own. Um, Mm -hmm. There's that great brand. What is it? It's like a Silicon. Dasher. Dash your bag. Yes. yes. I haven't gotten any yet. I think the price tag scares people a little bit, but I'm like, yes. it's an investment, right? It is an investment. I, I personally have stasher bags. Here's a hot tip. Wait for earth day because they will have great sales. There you go. So, <laughs> there you go. So they will, I bought mine like 25, 30% off and I use them all the time for freezing for in my fridge, yeah. just giving things to friends and then having them back on my hikes. They're phenomenal. Um, so I definitely recommend them when they're on sale. Yeah, for sure. I think the other one that I've learned, at least from my parents being here or um, with them is uh, I don't use plastic wrap anymore. I don't have, I don't use aluminum foil. I don't use paper mm-hmm. towels. That one was a little jarring for me because sometimes you just want a paper towel, but yeah. once you just stop <laughs> buying them, you just like, you're like, oh, like I can just use a reusable towel. Yeah. But I know there's like a great, uh, like beeswax kind of wrap thing, but my parents just use another plate. Like they'll just stick another plate over whatever bowl and stick it in the yeah. fridge. Or I just throw a dish towel on top and yeah. I call it good. <laughs> there are like little ways when you start doing it, you can just wean yourself yeah. off of those old habits. I agree. And I think it's kind of a fun challenge. Like, okay, I ran out of paper towels. Let me give it a month and see what I can do and use in its place. Yeah. And I think it's really fun. I did that when I first started getting more into this lifestyle. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't need most of the stuff that the store is telling me I need, yeah. but it's not until you are forced to find alternatives that you realize that. Totally. I think that's a great segue into talking about sustainability in the home and what are some of those little steps that we can do, or what do we need to be aware of? Um, kind of what have you learned in that vein where it's like, whether it's the energy that we're using, the like cleaning products we're buying, that's a big one I know for people where it's like, mm-hmm. Ooh, do I switch to this green alternative or not? Like, what do we need to be chatting about here? Yeah. So um, another topic close to my heart. Um, I think when we think about our home, I'll start off by talking about energy consumption. Um, 50, over 50% of the energy that's used in your home comes from heating and cooling. So the first thing that individuals can do is just adjust their thermostat. And you can Google like, what, what should my thermostat be at in the winter versus the summertime? And just by adjusting this a little bit, and yeah, you may be uncomfortable at first, but My then dad your body is rolling over laughing because I complain about the temperature <laughs> in the house all the time. And he's like, just put a damn jacket on. And I'm like, no. 
Well, and that's the other thing about our Asian community is they have been doing this all the time to save money. But little <laughs> they did they know. little did they know that they are reducing the energy costs and outputs of their home by doing this. And I sympathize with your dad because my dad did the same thing you know those those houston summers he'd be like no it's staying at 76 it's not going any any lower and i was like i'm (laughs) but he had the right idea yeah so that's the first thing that we can look at is hey how can i adjust these temperatures so that my energy output is not 50 percent of of you know my my total energy consumption way more than what i thought it would be me too. Trust me, I saw the the stats and I was staggered. So that's the first thing that I think individuals um, can kind of take a look at. The next thing is looking at your appliances. Um, if you are able to, if you live in your own space and you control your appliances, are they energy star rated? Are they high efficiency? Um, you know, what are these ratings that they have? Did they meet them? Uh, because your appliances are consuming so mm-hmm. much electricity, your fridge, your washer and dryer. Um, how can I make sure that we're reducing yeah. those through what I'm using every week? Totally. So that's another good, good step. Again, I don't own any of my own appliances because I live in an apartment. So right. unfortunately I have very little um, input on these things, uh, but it's something to consider down the line when we're able to have our right. own space. Yeah. Um, another thing that I think people don't consider is actually the lighting in your house. Another thing that my dad used to complain to me about is like, I'm switching everything to CFL bulbs, blah, 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 or LED bulbs. And, you know, when I was in middle school, I was like, okay, great. Little did I know that him trying to save money was him being very green and reducing the energy consumption in the house. So switching to LED bulbs is huge. Um, Another big thing that I think uh, is interesting for us is not running your dryer as much because those the heat that goes into turning on your dryer to tumble mm-hmm. is, is very energy energy consuming um so just hang drying some of your clothes or if you are drying making sure it's a full load yeah. um so you're getting the efficiency out of it is big same thing with your dishwasher making sure it's full and you're not just washing a couple of dishes here and there that way you're using your appliances very efficiently is it better um, to hand wash dishes or use your dishwasher that is a great, great point. Um, and it's a place of contention for a lot of people. Again, if you're only using two or three dishes, by all means, hand wash them. But if I'm cooking a large volume, it is more efficient for me to use my dishwasher to fill it up, turn it on and have it run. Um, but I'm not going to run my dishwasher for five dishes. Yeah. You know, I'm going to make sure it's packed. Yeah. Uh, but typically, yeah, the amount, you know, if you're running that, that faucet and scrubbing, there is so much lost water yeah. in that motion. So it is actually usually better for a full load to just run your dishwasher. This is a dumb question. And I guess I haven't thought enough about it. I ask a lot of dumb questions, even though I know oh, I they're not it. dumb because I'm nothing's like, dumb. no, nothing's dumb. Just ask the question. Um, <laughs> the whole water reduction thing. I'm under the impression that my water is going to go to whatever water cleaning facility it needs to go and get reused. So does it matter what I'm doing? Like, how do I need to think about this? Yeah, so I think it's, um, yes, your water is is purified. It goes to a water treatment facility and then it's, you know, put back into the stream. But at the same time, fresh water is still a finite resource. And even though it's not affecting you and I, mm-hmm. it is affecting people in other places of the world. 
And it's, it's hard for us to understand, but what we do does often create a ripple effect to different areas. Yeah. Um, even if we don't see it, it happens. Just like me throwing a bag of Lay's chips into my trash can, that Lay's chips bag could end up in an estuary in the Philippines. Yeah. And I won't know about it, but it's happened. Right. Um, so that goes back to, to water as well. And, um, you know, it's less about like what you're putting in your water. Well, let me, let me rephrase. You don't want to be dumping things like harsh chemicals, oils, paint. Don't, don't totally. dump that in your water. There are places to recycle this safely. But your, your day-to-day uses, I mean, that is what your water treatment facility is for. It's more about how can I use my water efficiently? Am I turning it off when I don't need it? Am I, do I have these appliances that are using it efficiently? So more of that. Yeah, um, great point. Great call out. I think there's, I've at least seen a lot more articles pop up about, about this like uh, disparity, obviously where it's like, those of us who, you know, happen to live in fairly well-off neighborhoods or, you know, countries like where we are here in the U.S., we mm-hmm. might not see the effects of what we're doing, but people who are just not as, you know, in the same position that we are, will see that <clears throat> indirect effect of what we're doing. So something to yeah. keep in mind with our actions. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned this earlier, this idea of greenwashing, and I think specifically to our homes, you know, I'm seeing a ton of, you know, at, you know, whatever stores I'm buying, like cleaner ad or stuff, like a lot of great green looking labels that are super cute and minimalist. I'm like, okay, great. Like I'll buy it. Are these brands like actually better for a home? I know I have tried to, this is the one area I'm like, I got to work on this. My parents love their Clorox bright blue, like all these different (laughs) cleaners. They're just like the green stuff doesn't work as well. And I'm like, but how do I get them to move over to something? And the other thing is like, are these brands that are claiming to be greener on the shelf in the whatever green section they have now right. actually better for the environment? How do I need to think about this? Yeah, I think you bring up a great point because kind of like what I mentioned earlier, it's so complex and all of these brands are being thrown at you. Um, so I think a way that I look at those types of brands and are they really doing what they mean? Are they greenwashing or not? Is checking for certifications you can often flip to the back of your your soap or your cleaning product, and it'll show you if it's certified by an actual third-party observer, hasn't met certain regulatory standards. And if it hasn't, you don't need to use it. Um, So for example, there's something called B Lab or B Corp. These are certified organizations that have committed to having 1% of their, their profits or revenue contributed back to an environmental or social cause. So if you flip something over and it says B lab certified or B certified, there's a good way to go. Things like I think seventh generation method, these are companies in that vein. Um, The other thing is again, looking up the company and Googling it. What is its parent company? Yeah, Yeah. what is its parent company still Procter & Gamble? Okay, well then you can probably find another alternative. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And in terms of, you know, your parents thinking, oh, it's not cleaning well enough. um, Again, given that we're in a pandemic, I do think, you know, we do have to keep things clean and sterile and all that stuff. uh, We're a little on edge. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think that's, it's it's a good thing to be. We want to be safe. Um, But for just your day-to-day cleaning, it doesn't have to be bleach. You know, you don't, you don't have to use that. So uh, those perceptions are also something that, that can be worked on. Yeah. Have you tried any of those? Like, um, I know a lot of people love like branch basics. There's like a couple others I've seen. They're like raving about it. So I'm like, okay, maybe we got to jump on the train. 
Yeah, I usually, um, so a lot of times I actually just use white vinegar and my orange peel. Girl, you're so cool. <laughs> so I just use those because that's a, that's a good enough cleaning option yeah. for me. And I do, because in the bathroom, I do still use Clorox bleach because that I know is going to clean everything that's going on. Yeah. It is something that I'm trying to, to move over to as well. Um, but that's what I use right now, especially if it's a pandemic and I have people over at my apartment for studying. I want to keep it clean. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, so there are also alternatives, things like Blue Land. And um, I've heard Blue Land is also Asian American owned. It is Asian American owned and I love it. And so companies like that, that are reimagining what it means to be clean. You don't have to continuously re, um, repurchase these packagings, but you can refill it. I think those are also Clean Cult is another brand. So these are also really cool um, opportunities for people to dive into. Yeah. What about stuff like, you know, you mentioned using, you know, our washer dryers. Does running my dryer on a not hot make a difference if I run it on like medium? Like is something like that better? Or is like, uh, I've seen these, but I haven't tried them like dryer balls. Like, does that actually make a difference? Like stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So I always tell folks when you're running your, your um, washer, just run it on cold because that's still cleaning your, your clothing. And then on your dryer. Yep. I have not washed anything. I have not washed anything in hot water in about five years. Nice. (laughs) So you can run everything cold, tap cold, and it'll, it'll clean everything just fine. As long as you're using a detergent, it's all, you know, cleaning correctly. And then in the dryer, I do agree using it a lower heat setting can absolutely help. And sometimes I do that. And then I just hang dry or usually I just end up hang drying my stuff anyway. Um, I do use wool balls and it's because I don't use dryer sheets because they're a waste of time and money. (laughs) So so I just put like essential oil on my dryer balls or you can use them unscented and I just toss them in and gets everything soft and beautiful. Oh my gosh. Love it. Um, I did also, there was another brand I'd seen that's also Asian American owned. I think it's called dirty labs and they're also a laundry situation. I don't know enough about them, but I was very excited to stumble upon it. Very cool. I'm going to write it down. Yeah. So I can look them up afterwards. Um, what about stuff? Like I'm even thinking about, I love this because I'm like, okay, I'm taking inventory in my brain and all the stuff. (laughs) What about stuff? Like I'm seeing a lot of these, like shampoo, conditioner bar alternatives, stuff like mm-hmm. that. I know it, Some again, some of these things feel so jarring to be like, but I love my whatever shampoo that makes my hair look whatever way. Are these steps where you're like, okay, this is a small, easy step that you can make. It might take a little time to adjust to it. Or is it something where you're like, hey, as you're going through your journey, maybe it's something you add on every other month. Or how do you think about stuff like that? Yeah, I think if, if you're able to like find an alternative that does work for you, and unfortunately that takes time and money and trial and error. Yep. If you have the liberty and ability to do that, you, I think it's a wonderful We're place to start. We're all working from home. No one cares what your no hair one looks cares. like. Yeah. Um, and especially, I mean, my hair is, it's very thick, it's coarse, it's big and curly. And I use a, sh- a shampoo bar and a shampoo conditioner or an, a bar conditioner. And it has worked well for me, but again, given the texture of my hair, I do have to buy a a conditioner that's pumped out and uh, an an option that I could give to people just buy a bigger container because those are typically easier to recycle. And the other thing is just make sure you scoop everything out of there and rinse it out when you are recycling it. And so I'm, I'm there with you. I do use the bars, but I still have my big container that I use because I need it for my hair. So if you're able to incorporate it, I mean, Hey, 
right now is the time to try it, okay? Nobody is looking at you except for Zoom calls. So, and if you need to, you just put your hair back. Yeah, oh my God, wear a hat. It's all good. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a really great point where it's like, again, where it's it's on us, where it's like, how do we make these small individual steps? We know it's on these bigger companies to make the larger sweeping steps, but how do we as individuals make those tiny changes in our life that right. add up? So I think that's a great point too. Yep. 100%. Love that. Anything else in regards to the home, anything else that we didn't touch on or that I may have left out? Yeah. Um, no, I think the biggest thing you can do is just think about your energy. Um, there's also this funny thing that, you know, everybody is talking about electric vehicles and Teslas and stuff. And I saw a hilarious meme the other day of a Tesla plugged into um, an electric outlet that said powered by coal. So <laughs> recognizing that even though you're doing all of these things, where is my energy coming from? Where is the grid that's producing my energy? Um, and again, I live in an apartment. I don't control who my provider is. But when I lived elsewhere and I was able to, to shop for providers, I looked for a Green Mountain Energy or these places that offered renewable options or yeah. would do a percentage. So I think that's another great way to, to make a big tangible change without you seeing it, but it's happening on the back end. Totally. And that is what's creating the big ripple effect. Yeah, for sure. I think even in my apartment in Minneapolis, like center point had an option for like an extra $5 a month. Like they'll get like 50% of your energy or whatever statistic it was will come from a green source. Right. And it's like for me, $5 a month is like what a coffee, maybe it's a, a month, coffee. So. Exactly. Right. Love it. Um, okay. Well, I've taken a lot of great little nuggets of information here. So I'm excited for other people to do this too. This one is, a. A little more contentious depending on consumption habits, fashion. We've heard yes. a lot about uh, <laughs> heard a lot about fast fashion and uh, how not great it is. And mm -hmm. realizing that I'm like, oh, I might have to pay a little bit more for a more sustainable option, but maybe it'll right. last me a little longer. What do the people need to know about uh, being a little bit more sustainable in their fashion habits? Yeah. Um, so. Another great documentary that I recommend <laughs> because that's what, again, really stemmed my, my change in perception. It's called The True Cost. And it kind of talks about, okay, I'm walking into H&M. I see a super cute $10 shirt. I'm going to buy it because it's cute. It's trendy. And I'm going to wear it for five or six times. The threads fall apart. I get rid of it. But does that $10 take into account everything that happened in the life cycle of that shirt, the cotton that was used to grow it, the spinning, the weaving, the labor that went into creating it, the shipping from uh, probably Vietnam or Cambodia to the United States. Yeah. Is that $10 account for all of that that went into that shirt? Um, so when I started thinking about this, everything that I consume has a life cycle. Uh, that is what really helped me understand like, okay, I can start changing my shopping habits as well. And this is coming, like I said, from someone who bought a new outfit every week. You guys, I was at the mall. I was at the strip centers. I was buying things all the time. So I say it from a reformed consumer that it can right. be done. It's never too late to change. <laughs> it's never too late to change. Um, you know, another great quote that we kind of toss around in the sustainability community is, we don't need a handful of people doing this. 100% well. We need a million people doing it imperfectly. So pick and choose the places that resonate with you and then where can it can it be done? So when it comes to, to fashion, again, it is society and branding that makes us think that there are 52 weeks of fashion and I have to change my outfit 
all the time. I have to change my clothing every season. Surprise, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise. Surprise. Take a note from our Indian dads who wear the same clothes they came to this country with. (laughs) And, And so that's why I'm like, it's just changing that perception. And unfortunately, you know, we're kind of seeing in this day and age, the the branding of influencers and all yeah. of these, you know, Zara, ASOS, H&M, and all of these big brands are pushing you to buy things really quickly and then turning over to a new new type of, um, of outfit. Think about, you know, what is, your, what is your actual fashion style? What do you wear regularly? What do you look good in? What do you feel comfortable in? Um, there's this new wave of creating capsule wardrobes. And I think that's such a beautiful concept is finding what you look good in, feel good in, and then wearing that throughout the seasons and layering as you need to, because the truth is a lot of what's in style or fashion forward is not gonna look great on every body type or every, every um, you know, whatever you do day to day. So, so pushing that, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of don't let these social stigmas and social things affect what you do day to day. But you're so right. It's like, I think is, you know, especially with the rise of social media and just, you know, all this content that we're consuming, we feel this need to keep up. And I think especially with fashion, how it is just such a form of self-expression for so many people, Correct. but we feel like we're doing it to keep up with others. And it's Mm -hmm. like, just find those pieces. You're right. I love this capsule collection idea. Um, I need to work on paring mine down a little bit, but, uh, me and you both, you know, (laughs) like I said, it's it's a journey girl. It's a journey. (laughs) Um, when you talk about the lifestyle of clothing, you know, I've started to see most of the time when I'm moving, I've moved a couple of times now for work, but most of the times I'll do like a closet pare down and like go mm-hmm. give my stuff to Goodwill. I started to wonder, like, as I get ready for my next move, does it make more sense for me to find a recycle center that will take clothing instead of taking it to Goodwill? I don't know which one is obviously mm-hmm. both are good causes, but does it make more environmental sense to maybe give some better quality items to Goodwill and then give the items that may not have that much life left in them to the recycling center. Yeah. And I think you bring up a great point. Um, I would actually challenge you and anyone who, who listens to this episode is take your clothing to a women's shelter. Um, there are a also lot of a great cause. Yeah. There are a lot of women and children and, and men, of course, in need that don't have the clothing to even go to a job interview. And if they can't, if they can't don't wear, wear the correct things to a job interview, they can't get that job and then, you know, work on their own economic prosperity. So my first challenge is to always opt for a shelter near you that is accepting items, what they need and donate to them first. Um, and then, yes, you know, once you've done that, if they're not taking certain things, you can drop them off to a Goodwill if you want. And typically Goodwill does end up recycling certain fabrics. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and then, yeah, of course, if you're close to a textile recycling area, definitely an awesome option. What I encourage individuals to not do is there are these little bins that are often set up at universities or schools or outside of Walmart that says, donate your clothes here. If you read the fine print, those are for-profit entities that sell your clothing to come to countries like Haiti, Honduras, uh, places in, in sub-Saharan Africa. And, and they're actually ruining the supply in those areas for handmade clothing because they're just exporting all this clothing there. So that's where I say, do not donate to those. If you can avoid it, donate elsewhere first. Great, great point. I think, especially as we're all doing like 
closet cleanouts in the pandemic. I think that's a yeah. great, like, here's a list, obviously give back to shelters. I love that. Mm-hmm. I um, will definitely be looking into that in Minneapolis when I go back. Yeah. And then how do you divide and conquer between, you know, who else needs it and what can actually be recycled and put back yeah. into the system? Mm-hmm. Love that. Great call out. Um, anything else in terms of, Hey, just keep this in mind in terms of, are there any good like brands that you've found or like brands that you're like, Hey, they're doing a really good job with the life cycle of clothing and, you know, creating new clothing from old waste and things like that. Yeah. So, um, my first thing is if you want to buy something shop secondhand first, because these are, these are often clothes that can still serve thrifting, man. It's huge. Again, I didn't start thrifting for a long time because I just bought clothes, you yeah. know, at, at places like H&M and, and Forever 21. And now that I'm realizing these incredible vintage pieces, one in a, you know, one in a million pieces that I pick up at thrift stores, I always get compliments on them. So that is my first place is go there, go to Poshmark, you know, find, find those retailers um, first, those secondhand retailers. And then second is um, there's a, an, a website it's called uh, The Good Trade. And you can find a list of ethical, sustainably made, um, socially conscious brands through uh, that, that website. And they have so many awesome opportunities. So one of my favorite brands is Eileen Fisher um, and Veta Capsule. So, Love yeah. Veta Capsule. Veta Capsule is so cute. I personally do not own any of, of their products, but I love what they're doing and their concept. And when I have a job, I hope to purchase their products. I have and their gray plaid jacket. Let me put a plug oh. in for that one. It is functional as a dress, as a yes. coat, as a jacket, as a vest. It is incredible. And beautiful and just beautifully made. So those are two brands that I really, really admire and are doing great work. And then if you're like me and you like being outdoors, I do think the outdoor industry does have a leg up in kind of this life cycle mentality of clothing. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, things like them um, at Cotopaxi, like there are so many brands in the outdoor industry that are also doing great work. So I definitely recommend those um, if you, you know, do any sort of athletic activity. If we learned anything from Bernie Sanders this last month, you only need one good jacket and that (laughs) will get you through. And you'll look great and everybody will make wonderful memes out of you. So (laughs) I love that. Um, Well, I know we're running a little over time, so I will keep us moving as we wrap up. But um, I think that you just, I love that you just shared like so many great little like actionable steps that each of us can do. I think kind of coming back to this idea of it feeling, (laughs) saving the planet feels so overwhelming and just like such a impossible task, I guess in some senses, I've even felt where I'm like, does this idea of there is hope for us, does that feel naive? Like, should I even feel that like, like we can do this and like, we can make these changes and we can make a tangible impact to what's going on. I guess for you, how have you approached this idea of there are things I can do, there are actions I can take, and I'm not going to be paralyzed by this overwhelming dread of what could be because it's more important to try where I can, I guess. Cause I know I felt that where I'm like, like, what's the point? Like everything's going to hell anyway. So like, what do I do? Um, Rather than focusing on all this hope and all these great like causes and brands and everything that's coming out now, that's like trying really hard to like make these changes. How have you approached that? And how have you thought about that? Yeah. So um, great question. And I think something that, that plagues a lot of us in our age, age bracket significantly 
And what I have to remind myself and everyone is if there is hope, there is a future. And you do have to continue recognizing that there are wonderful brands and initiatives and policies that are making these changes that will help. Again, it won't help tomorrow or a month from now, but five to 10 years from now is when we're going to start seeing those effects. What's happening to us now didn't happen yesterday. It happened over the accumulation of 50 years, 100 years. So what we do now isn't going to change our tomorrow, but it will change the future. And I think, again, you know, coming back to my whole recognizing that every dollar you spend, every action you make, every product you consume or bring into your home, that can be altered or adjusted in a way that is more beneficial to you, to the planet, to other people. And remembering that, you know, everything has a life and it came from somewhere and it affected someone and somebody made that for you. And how am I equitably, you know, helping that person in that process? Uh, you know, it is daunting, but you, you are the change maker. Everybody here is a change maker. You know, things are produced for us to consume. So if we as consumers demand something else, that will then be produced. But it's a long game. It's a long game. That was beautiful. I love that. Is that, if that's not a rally cry, I don't know what is. Like, I love that. And I think you're so right where it's like, there, the idea of hope is that, you know, change is possible. And it's just like clinging onto that, even when it does feel overwhelming and feels like there is none, like it is there. And that's at least what's at least helped me kind of go through where it's like, what are these things that I can do that will help me hold on to that hope? So yeah, I think there's power in that for sure. Absolutely. So totally agree that. with you. Um, well, just to keep us on time, cause I know you've got a very busy schedule as a student. So <laughs> I will try to wrap us up here with some rapid fire questions. Sure. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> I always think they're fun and they kind of give people a little peek into who you are and kind of yeah. what, what you've got going on. So are you ready? Okay. I hope so. <laughs> okay. First question. How do you take your tea? Oh, um, I am a sucker for a matcha latte. I That's what I've been sipping them. through this episode. Yes, yeah. I'm hoping that somebody will miraculously gift me one of those handheld frothers. Oh, so um, cute. Because, <laughs> yeah, I really want one of those. So love matcha, um, but I am open. I love to try any tea, however it is. Love it. Who doesn't love a good cup of tea? Exactly. Uh, who is someone that you really admire? Oh, this is a tough one. Um... Hmm. So I, I think someone that I've admired my whole life is actually uh, Mother Teresa. And I think it's because uh, someone that can do something in a very selfless manner, it's very admirable. Um, and to, and again, I, I'm a very spiritual person. And I know that a lot of what I do stems from my spirituality. spirituality. Uh, so I just, I can resonate with her. I, I don't think I'll ever do anything to the scale of what she did, but knowing that one person is able to cause such a positive impact amongst multiple people. Uh, that's really what, what helps me stay motivated too. Yeah, for sure. I love that. It's such a good reminder where it's like, I think people often think if I'm not changing the whole world, then what's the point where it's like, you can just change one person's life. And that makes just as much of a difference. That's exactly what I say. My literally my motto is if I made one person smile today, I'm doing better than most. So that's right. That's right. That's all that counts. I love that so much. Um, what did you eat for breakfast today? Oh, okay. So I recently discovered cream of wheat, which I had never eaten before. <laughs> I have not gotten that answer yet. So yay. <laughs> oh so, yeah, I, I do um, cream of wheat with half a banana, 
half a cup of blueberries uh, and cinnamon and then the milk, whatever milk I've made for the week. And it's so good and it's so filling and it's so cheap. <laughs> Love that. Gotta love that student life, you know? <laughs> the student life is real. I'm sure my dad is very proud of me for my like 50 cent breakfast. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Maybe cream of wheat will become cool again this year. I know, I hope so. <laughs> um, but what is something that you really love about yourself? Oh, um, uh, I would say my my personality. I have always been um, very bubbly and jovial and I am very, very happy that I get to meet new people all the time. Um, and I think my, my positive, I'm definitely an optimist, like glass, glass fully full all the time, all the time. That's me. Um, and I, I love being that way. And I consider myself very fortunate that I think that way, because I think a lot of the battles that we're, we're facing in, in my particular program can be overwhelming, like we yeah. discussed earlier, but staying positive has been a big help to me. And I know a big help to my friends. So yeah. I, I love that about myself and I wouldn't change it. <laughs> I can concur um, for sure. <laughs> what is a book you would recommend? Oh gosh, so many. Um, I would recommend Essentialism by Greg McKeown. Uh, it kind of makes you take stock of your life and what you've done and what propels you and what is that 90% that you would do anything for. And that is when I, I read that book and that's when I decided to quit my job. So that, that was a big one. Love it. All right. We'll add that one to the show notes for people yeah. to look up. Um, <laughs> if you could have one skill or talent that you don't already, what would it be? Oh, uh, patience. <laughs> I'm a very impatient person. Um, I'm very positive, but I'm also very action oriented and I have to be doing something and I have to have the people around me doing, be doing something. And I wish I could exercise more patience. And it's something I'm working on to just, hey, let's just chill out. Let's enjoy this moment. Let's be mindful with each other instead of me constantly thinking about what I could do next. So patience for myself and patience for the people around me is a big thing that I wish I had and hopefully will have. A work in progress, you know? A work in progress. Something always on the work. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, I actually don't eat very oh, much ice cream. <laughs> Vida. This is yeah. terrible. I'm not a big sweets person. Like when someone's like, oh, what's your favorite dessert? I'm like, watermelon. So. <laughs> okay, well, but, um, go to watermelon. <laughs> yeah, I guess if I have to, if I have to pick um, an ice cream, oh, this is tough. I, I like just a mango kulfi, man. I love, I do love me a mango kulfi. Classic. Uh, what is it? The one in the pink little container? Yes. Yes. Classic. I don't remember the brand, Roop or whatever the brand is. It's so good. <laughs> I think that definitely counts. Who doesn't love a good mango kulfi? Yeah. Um, what is something you're curious about right now? Oh, um, so personally, I'm getting um, really interested in kind of financial independence. Uh, I'm turning 27 this year, and uh, of course, I'm in school right now, but I am just trying to get my finances together and think about the future and long-term yeah. planning. So that is something that I've been reading a lot more books and listening to podcasts about. How do I manage my personal finance? What does financial independence mean? So that's something that I've, I've been very interested in, I think will be more invested in this year. And I think everybody should be. <laughs> 100%. Got to be able yeah. to take care of your own money. Exactly. And that's why I say, if I'm contributing my dollar, I need to have the dollar in the first place. That's so. right. That's right. I love that. Um, my mom, this is so terrible. My mom has like always given me this advice where she's like, even when you get married, 
you always have your own little money thing yeah. that you know how to take care of. <laughs> like you got to yes. be able to know what you're doing on your own and not rely yes. on anyone else to take care of your money for you. So 100% agree. And my parents would say the same. <laughs> <laughs> Wise advice from our parents over here for oh, anyone listening. Exactly. <laughs> um, closing out our episode, what is a piece of joy or wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, yeah, no, I, I think it goes back to everything we discussed today is, is you are a change maker and you can make it happen. You know, don't put all of the pressure on yourself, but know that your little steps will make a difference in whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's a social cause in your community, whether it's just purchasing from a different brand, whether it's changing your food habits, any of those things, you know, you have the power and the self-responsibility to be able to adjust it in a way that suits you and fits you and serves you. So just remember that, that you're a change maker and you can make it, you can make it happen. Um, I think that's, that's a big takeaway. I love that. What a great piece of advice. Well, anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with anything we didn't talk about anything you'd like to just quick plug. Yeah, no, I just want to say thanks so much for having this platform for us to speak, you know, about these really exciting topics and definitely just go to, go to Netflix, check out some sustainability documentaries, 10 out of 10 recommend. And, uh, and it's a journey. It's a journey, everybody. <laughs> Love that. Where can people find you? Do you want to give maybe an Insta handle to share some yes. sustainability Sundays? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you can follow me at Viva La Vidha. It's V-I-V-A-L-A-V-I-D-H-A. Um, so you can follow me on there. I also am very active on LinkedIn. I post every week about different kind of waste management or infrastructure topics pertaining to sustainability and um, would love to connect with anybody and answer any questions they have. Yay. Well, I'm so excited that we got to have you on Vidha. You are a gem of a human being and I'm really excited for people to, you know, just even if this conversation is a Kickstarter for them to start thinking about stuff, I'll consider it a success. So yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's been oh such a joy. Yay. Thanks so much. Thank y'all so much for listening to today's episode. If you're interested in following along with Vidha, she shares a wonderful series on Instagram called Sustainability Sundays, and you can follow along at Viva La Vidha. Love that handle so much. And you can follow her on LinkedIn and connect with her there at Vidha Dixit. Thanks again for listening and we'll see y'all next time.